You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open. <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill. Unbelievable. Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that, little man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. Tua, shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Got it. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, part two of our summer roster reset series here of two parts. We'll talk with ESPN's Marcel Louis-Jacques about the offense, his OTA takeaways, and much, much more here from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. Let's go ahead and welcome in my guest today, talking all things Miami Dolphins 2023 offense, Marcel Louis-Jacques. And joining me today from ESPN, Marcel Louis-Jacques. Marcel, thanks for joining us today, talking some Dolphins offense, some Dolphins OTAs, and welcome into the podcast for the first time, my friend. Yeah, man. Pleasure to be here, uh, squeezing out last bit of football before uh, basically what summer vacation. Yeah, it feels a little childish to call it that, but I mean, that's kind of what it is, right? It's exactly what it is. My wife is a teacher, so she actually does go on summer break. And so our jobs line up pretty well in that way. I know you're a big traveler as well, man. You got your thing on the docket here coming up for uh, the summer break, as it were? I uh, might be heading up to, to New York slash Connecticut here in a couple of weeks. Um, Haley, my girlfriend's birthday is at the end of the month. Uh, I'm going to use up some of those sweet Disney passes and uh, <laughs> head up to Orlando for a couple of days before uh, hanging out here in Miami for a week or so. I uh, got a, actually got a wedding in Minneapolis or Minnesota, that area, um, <laughs> end of July, early August as well. I might miss a couple of days of training camp for that. But beyond that, man, my big trip was uh, we went to Cabo for Cam Wolf's 30th birthday. Nice. Uh, I think that was end of March or, or beginning of April, one of the two. But uh, that, I'm, I'm, that's it, man. We do a lot of traveling in the year, so... I kind of like my home time when I get it. Yeah, absolutely. I always, uh, you know, home home is where the heart is for me. I'm, I'm typically kind of a, a, a veg out kind of guy, especially being a parent of two of these days. But getting out is nice. I'm heading back up to my, my stomping grounds in Washington State later this month as well. So I think everybody I've talked to gets out for at least a little bit. Um, but you doing Cabo in New York makes me a little bit jealous. There. I, I can't lie about that, Marcel. Hey, man, look, it's uh, it is what it is, though, I guess. Like, it, was a, <laughs> it, was, it was a blessing. It was a blessing. I've actually, I've never been to Washington, man. I've never been. I, I've always wanted to go to like Seattle. I wanted to catch a game. Like I went to Arizona State, obviously. So I wanted to catch like a ASU UW game. I know those are the other guys for for you. <laughs> <laughs> that would be like you telling me you want to go to Tucson. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I well, do want to. I do want to see Washington at some point. I've never really. I've been. I think I had a short layover at an airport, and that's about it. Hey, look, man, Pullman's got nothing for you or anybody that's not uh, used to the area. It's It's got nothing for you, man. Like it's it's in the middle of the hills, the rolling Palouse. 
out there in Eastern Washington, just not a lot going on. So I don't blame you because Seattle in the summertime is one of the most beautiful landscapes I think we have in this country. Uh, the entire Pacific Northwest is kind of that way, but really up in that upper left corner, you can't beat it when it's like 75 degrees on a nice July day. And you talk about going to a game. I, I would recommend a Mariners game because those are about as chill vibes as you can get when it comes to the Northwest and, and kicking it um, up there. So that's that's our non-football talk here, and we're already, as you can tell, in vacation mode, it sounds like, Marcel. Let's go ahead and revert back here to what happened uh, on this practice field the last week and, and really going back the last month over OTAs. Five practices uh, observed out of however many it was. I, I forget the number. But we saw five of the practices, and we talked defense on the previous episode with Daniel Oyafusi, and he, he gave us his defensive takeaways. I'm curious to get your takeaways on the offensive side of the football here for your number two under Mike McDaniel. What did you see? What did you like on the Dolphins offense during OTAs? Well, let's start with what, what everybody wants to know, everybody wants to talk about, right, which is, is Tua. Tua, look, he, like, he had more command of this offense. You know, it's been much reported. It's the first time he's ever been in the second year of an offense in his yeah. in his career. Uh, but he he looks the part, taking more of a little vocal leadership role. Uh, you know, that's been a pretty hot topic of conversation surrounding Tua over the past, we'll call it two, three years. What kind of leader is he? Is he he's not vocal, he's not a rah-rah type of guy. Uh, I don't think you necessarily have to be. I think you can lead by example, even at the quarterback position, but nobody's gonna turn it down if your quarterback is your vocal leader. So uh, there's that. Behind him, however, <laughs> behind him is not as stable as I think the Dolphins wanted it to be after signing Mike White, just because I think Skylar Thompson has outplayed him during the practices that we have been able to watch. And, you know, that's not to say we don't get to see Mike White in, in the film room. We don't get to see him in the, in the meeting rooms. So we don't get to see that part. But from the five practices we saw, it looked like Skylar Thompson might end up being QB2. And when I say not as stable, it's not a knock on that quarterback situation. It's more like it's not decided. You know, when Mike White signed, I think you expected him to be QB2. And I'm not so sure going into training camp. I'm not so sure that that is what's going to happen once uh, training camp is over. Switching notes, you know, staying in the backfield, man. I think the entire media court has fallen in love with Devon A. Chain and for, for good reason, man. Like he, he looks like an early candidate for training camp, darling of the year. Uh, like the versus to the way he's used, I can't actually say because of the media guidelines, but the way he has been used, the versatility he has displayed, the speed and athleticism that he has displayed, um, his aptitude as a route runner and his agility after the catch. Uh, I think they're all going to carve a legitimate role for this guy out as soon as he's comfortable with the speed of the game. Preseason and training camp and practice, that's one thing. But once you, once those, you know, once the lights are on, once you're in the stadium, it, it, it changes a bit. So once he's comfortable with that level of play, with that speed of play, man, I, I, I think this guy's going to have a special role uh, this offseason. Uh, Savon Ahmed, I thought, looked good as well. Uh, he's a guy who he showed up last year at training camp, uh, you know, didn't get the reps in season, but he made him count when he did, I think scored touchdown in Buffalo, uh, late in the season. But, uh, you know, I thought Ahmed has looked, has looked good behind Mostert and Wilson. Wilson has looked explosive here, uh, his second year in Miami, uh, wide receivers. We didn't get to see a lot of Tyreek, um, outside of position drills, 
from what he said the other day, yesterday, technically, that he's still learning this offense. That last year, he was just going off vibes and still <laughs> was on track to, to crack the 2K mark out at a certain point. Uh, before before injuries like I, I think that's that's outstanding so I, I'd expect massive things from him this year Jalen Waddle basically operating as wide receiver one without Tyreek there he still looked the part man he's still one of the best receivers in the NFL uh, a lot of talk about wide receiver three and where that's what direction that's going after signing uh, Robbie Chosen after signing Braxton Berrios uh, I think that Robbie Chosen has been the lead, his, I think he's the leader in the clubhouse for wide receiver three entering training camp. Uh, his downfield presence has been notable. Uh, there's been a lot of screw uh, Robbie's down there somewhere tight passes uh, that <laughs> connect and, and score. I, I think that uh, I, I think people forget who Robbie Chozer really is. Maybe it's because of the name changes, but yeah. <laughs> I think people for, I think people forget who he is. That uh, this is a guy who, who's putting up. A thousand yards or near a thousand yards with you know Sam Darnold's of the world, and he put up a thousand, I think, with Teddy Bridgewater. And if Panthers and Jets, Robbie shows up, then that this is one of the value signings of the offseason, without a doubt. Uh, I thought he's been excellent. Braxton Berrios is very shifty. Uh, Eric Izukama, hopefully, making that second year jump. He's a guy who was a training camp darling last year, preseason darling last year didn't necessarily translate in the regular season. If he's ready to take that next step, again, that, that that's a fourth-round pick from a season ago that looks like it is going to pay off. And so, I mean, a lot of lot of positions, it's a long-winded way of saying, uh, you know, that even without pads, you know, we can't see everything, but even without pads, there were plenty of players who stood out. No, I, I appreciate it because you gave me multiple follow-ups and, and takeaways to kind of address as we go along the position groups here. And we'll touch on tight end and offensive line as well. But I want to go back to the quarterback spot. And, you know, you mentioned Tua, and uh, I, we'll start there because I, why wouldn't you? You know, I mean, you look at his numbers last year. I mean, 8.9 yards per pass attempt, a 3 to three to one two five touchdown interception ratio, 272 yards per game. He was, you know, one of the top quarterbacks in EPA per dropback, had one of the lowest sack percentage rates, the best passer rating, one of the top total QBRs, best downfield passing rate. Like he just led the league in so many important categories or top two or three in so many of those. And, you know, you, you look at the, the, the contemporaries that he's measured against in those statistics. And it's like, how do you want to refute this? Because I'm looking at this list and it's Patrick Mahomes, it's Josh Allen, it's Jalen Hurts. It's Joe Burrow. It's Tua Tagovailoa. Like if he's among those peers, then he's probably playing at a pretty high level. And uh, I wanted to kind of bounce this idea off you, Marcel, because I do the podcast by myself most of the time. And so I'm talking <laughs> to myself and convincing myself, I, I guess, of things. But it's nice to have a guest on here because what I thought I saw during these OTAs was a guy that, again, we know he can push the ball to the, these receivers and, you know, they, their landmarks tend to be a little bit deeper than most teams because they have that speed and he hits them with good anticipation down the field. And it, it generates a lot of explosive plays, you know, 15, 20 yard and, and bigger chunk plays. But I thought we saw a more measured approach from Tua during these practices where he was finding quicker outlets and getting the ball to his backs and tight ends. Does that excite you the way it excites me? Because obviously not great for like the, you know, the explosive big plays that everyone gets excited about. But to me, I think I can keep the offense more on schedule, get a better third down conversion rate, and just overall make your offense more efficient. Yeah, I think for as a coach, offensive coordinator, offensive play call, anytime you see your quarterback willing to hit his layups, I, I, I think it's a I think it's a positive sign. 
And it's kind of ironic that we're talking about this at this stage because remember two years ago it was yeah. the narrative that those are the only passes that right. he can hit. Like that was it's funny, but I I think that uh, it, it all goes it all works toward the goal of self preservation for Tua. Uh, yeah. The concussions he he sustained last year uh, they they were ma- mainly the result of him trying to extend the play for a little bit too long instead of taking something that's right there, possibly taking something that's right there or getting rid of the ball. So working on that short timing, those short passes, intermediate routes, those quick hit routes, I, I hopefully trains his, his, his instincts to know when to say die, essentially, in a play. To know when to say, okay, we don't need the 90-yard play. We don't need a massive play here. We don't need 70 to Tyreek. My fantasy team might need it, but we <laughs> as the Dolphins do not need that. So I, I think that's a you know they're working on that. Plus, without uh, like w- without Tyreek on the field, like it- it's just not really the same. It's not really the same offense. It's not the same offense. And yeah, how can you, know, it be, you right? don't. It can't be. He he demands such atten- so much attention from an opposing defense that it- it's just not the same with Jalen Waddle and Robbie Chosen out there. Those are two good receivers. But like let's we're, let's not play ourselves here. Let's not play ourselves here. <laughs> Yeah, Tyreek, he's he's a different beast, a different animal. And, uh, you know, I, I thought that, that the addition of, of chosen speed with what it can do to create more space in terms of clear outs that, you know, free up some of the other routes that this offense likes to run is intriguing because I don't think last year they had that third speed element, you know, between, you know, even a Micah Sicky, a Trent Sherfield, a River Craycraft, good re- receivers in their own right, but didn't have that, you know, top end four, three speed that Robbie uh, possesses. And like you mentioned, was able to help him produce big plays and thousand yard seasons with the jets and Panthers alike. And a guy that if he can get back to that form, gosh, watch out, man, we'll get, we'll get back to that here in a second, but I want to go back to the, the quarterback position and finish up here because you talked about something that I think was really poignant in regards to the stability of that backup quarterback position. And it almost kind of goes in line with what Mike McDaniel mentioned, you know, heading into the offseason that they didn't feel like they needed, you know, a Teddy Bridgewater, Jacoby Brissett level veteran to kind of help Tua along. Tua has become that guy, uh, you know, the, the unquestioned leader of the quarterback room of the offense of the team. And so you get a guy that in my opinion, Marcel has more like high end upside uh, than maybe your previous backup quarterbacks did with Mike White. You haven't seen as much of his play because he's going into year number five here. Um, but then also Skylar Thompson in second year of the offense showing some strides here in, in minicamp. I'm just curious how you think that approach the backup quarterback position, like, and the fact that those guys are battling it out, is that ultimately a good thing for the Dolphins offense that there's competition there at that backup quarterback position? Oh, yeah. Competition is always good. You know, there's that's one of those Coach Speak Hall of Fame quotes, yeah. the Coach Speak Mount Rushmore quotes where you know control we can control uh, competition is always good but it's one that you can actually believe that it, it, competition is always good at that position and you know the thing that I will say about Mike White while I think Skylar Thompson has been the more efficient passer in the practices that we have seen we know what Mike White is capable of in game we have seen yeah. the 300 yard the 400 yard performances <laughs> we've seen lightning in a bottle and I think that's what that's ultimately what this signing was about. They don't, you don't sign a backup quarterback hoping that he plays. You don't do that. So like what they hope for is that, Hey, if Tua has to miss time, one, hopefully it's short. So we're talking a game or two and two, let's have a guy who can capture that lightning in a bottle who can come and be explosive for a game or two until, you know, defense figures it out or defense and make adjustments. And then we get our starter back. And that is what Mike White 
can do. So, you know, I, I'm not sitting here disappointed with his with his play or anything like that. I think that we have seen what his tape, his tape has shown what he can do. We know what Mike White will bring whenever he enters the field. But I don't think anybody should write off Skylar Thompson. Last year, I thought that if Skylar was not a seventh-round rookie, that he would seriously push Teddy Bridgewater for that number two spot behind Tua after the training camp we saw. Yeah, This is not last year. He has game experience. He has playoff experience. He has playoff road game experience. <laughs> crazy. He is a different kind of guy, and he is just simply consistent every practice that we've seen from him. I just, you know, this is less about Mike White and more about praising what Skylar Thompson has been able to accomplish over the past year. That, that's exactly how I was going to kind of wrap that up there, but you did it perfectly there saying that it's, it's more of a, you know, a, a I guess um, not an indictment of Mike White, but rather a praising of Skylar Thompson and the work he's done here, because ultimately it just makes the Dolphins better. And I think you mentioned Mike White's tape. Like I go back to a couple of my favorite backup quarterbacks of all time are Ryan Fitzpatrick, obviously, because, you know, he has that, like you mentioned, that spark off the bench. And then my guy from Washington State, Gardner Minshew, I think is really well equipped to be a guy that, like you mentioned, can catch that lightning in a bottle. And we saw it from Mike White and his his tape with the Jets. There's some really good, uh, you know, throws on that tape as well. So I think the Dolphins just benefit from, in general, that entire quarterback room coming together. And not to mention uh, James Blackman as well, getting some reps here in training camp, or I should say mini camp so far. The uh, A lot of talent from that player coming out of Arkansas State, previously with Florida State as well. That's the quarterback room. You also touched on the running backs and the receivers. We're going to go ahead and take our first break right there and come back on the other side and talk about those groups. That's next. My guest today, Marcel Louis-Jacques from ESPN, your host, Travis Wingfield, Drive Time Podcast, brought to you by AutoNation. So you left off uh, uh, your first takeaway piece talking about the running back position, and you went into the, to the Devon A. Chain uh, hype train here, as it were. But among the media group, you know, he's he's made all the tweets, all the practice reports, and why not when you have explosive plays both in the run game and pass game? But I just want to kind of look at this running back room, you know, from a bird's eye view because you mentioned Savon Ahmed, Marcel. You're not going to find a bigger Savon Ahmed fan than me. I've been talking about him really since his first year here. How explosive I thought he looked. Uh, Raheem Mostert's a guy that I think doesn't get enough credit for what he does in terms of not just the production, but the way he, I think, complements the passing game because of his speed to the perimeter. I think, you know, A-Chain fits that mold as, as well, obviously, too. And then the fullback position with Alec Ingold and kind of how he opens up different things for this offense that really a lot of teams can't can't get to because there just aren't that many Alec Ingolds in the world anymore. Uh, this running back room and fullbacks included your bird's eye view of it. When you incorporate, you know, Ingold Moster on top of your comments with A-Chain and Ahmed. I think it's versatile. I think it's deep, especially considering where it's come from over the past, past few years, how it's developed over the past few years. Uh, I think they go a little under the radar because of the star power outside the position because of the the Tua's on the offense and the Tyreeks and the Jalen Waddles on the offense, Tehran's, uh, they go a little unheralded, but Raheem Mostert was one of the more efficient runners in the NFL once he started getting carries, once he took over midway through the season as, as the de facto lead back. Uh, but while he is obviously one of the fastest players in the NFL, fastest players on the team at the very least, I, I see he's he's like that um, like that Arian Foster type style of type of run, you know, that one cut and I'm gone. Like once I get that space, I'm hitting it hard. Devon A-Chain adds 
a different element, like that Barry Sanders type element where I'm going to dance and shift and juke and I'm going to get my yards that way. Disclaimer, this is not Marcel Louis-Jacques calling Devon H. the next Barry Sanders. I know how y'all do. Don't do me like that. <laughs> it's just, it's simply a style. You know, if you watch this Texas A&M tape, you watch what he's been able to do on the practice field. Uh, you you kind of see, you see the vision, you see the influence there. Uh, so I thought, you know, while running back wasn't a, a huge draft need for this team, uh, I it, you know, it's usually kind of a luxury pick, but I thought in that in that third round range, considering the type of player he was, he is that this is a perfect. It's a perfect fit. Not to mention, he is being. I got to be careful here because I don't want to get my pass suspended before we even go to training camp. <laughs> but his ability as a pass catcher, yeah, is more advanced than I expected it to be coming into minicamp. I think he's more advanced as a route runner and more advanced after the catch. Now, got to take everything we see with a grain of salt here in OTAs and minicamp because, I mean, they're not even playing thud right now. There's no pads. So you can kind of run forever, and plays tend to – plays are, are are allowed to run longer than they generally should. But I think the early signs have been promising. And then Alec Ingold, like you said, there is it, – it's hard to compare because there is no other Alec Ingold in the league. Like it, it, It's hard to compare – the impact and the value of a of of a fullback like Ingold, a guy who who does so much downfield and does so much to move a defense and, and distort a defense and, and pave ways for his runners. That uh, you know he, he's he, he's an invaluable piece. He's an invaluable piece. There's a reason he's still on this team in an era where fullbacks have kind of gone by the wayside. You, you mentioned the com- the comparison, you know, and I, I always get, you know, my, my radio co-host Seth Levitt gets on me for, for comparing, you know, players and Hey, you know what? Scouts do it all the time. Like every single player that scouts talk about has a pro comp because they want to kind of give you an idea of what their skill set looks like. You know, I, I think that Alec Ingold in a lot of ways is Mike McDaniel's Kyle use check that Kyle Shanahan has out there uh, by the Bay in San Francisco and the way it kind of, you know, creates matchup problems because that 21 personnel grouping you better come with your base defense and then from there you can throw the football into some advantageous matchups that way as well so that's why i think this running back room kind of generates is is some matchup issues and you talk about a chain his receiving skill set i mean have mercy man if, if you can get that speed and that that route running ability acclimated quickly that could just add another element to the offense and then a guy we don't talk about enough i think also is jeff wilson who to me is a little bit of the change up to the rest of this running back room that has so much speed and explosiveness. How do you see Jeff Wilson's role kind of fitting here with the Dolphins backfield? Because he has like an edge to him, Marcel, the way he runs the ball is, is not nice to, to put it, I guess, uh, frankly. Yeah, it's not kind. It's, it's <laughs> not, it's, it's not considerate of defenders. I would say that uh, he brings a certain kind of juice uh, and, and his role is solidified in that he's a, he is more of a thumper than, than a chain and 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 mostert are uh he's going to get tough yards he's going to grind out those dirty three to five yard short yardage situation carries uh but he's looked pretty explosive this this offseason as well like that's not to say he can't run like he's been hitting holes pretty quickly he's been getting downfield and finishing his runs off but uh, i think his role his defined role will be that energizer the guy who when he lowers his shoulder gets the whole sideline juice up 
I thought he was a nice little shot in the arm to the offense last year when he arrived. I think he had touchdowns and back-to-back games, but I had like a hundred yard game in there as well. So a guy that hopefully in his second year, you know, with this team, I know it's a similar system, but second year with this exact team, maybe gets even more production and more looks that way. Let's go ahead and pivot to the group that really, I think kind of took the NFL by storm last year and the wide receivers. You talked about Tyreek off the top. So I don't, I don't expect you to, you know, do your whole your whole song and dance on him again because we know what he is. Jalen Waddle, I've been beating that drum for a long time now, just saying how I think this guy's one of the best in the NFL. And he, he certainly proved that last year, uh, just in a second season. But you know, Braxton Berrios, Robbie Chosen, Tyreek Hill, Cedric Wilson, Jalen Waddle, Eric Ezukama, Chris Coleman, uh River Craycraft, Braylon Sanders, Daywood Davis, and Freddie Swain. So I think where the conversation here starts and, and almost ends, Marcel, because again, we know what we have in, in 10 and 17 is that number three role. And you talked about, you know, Robbie chosen. And I would agree with you that he, he really stood out in a way that kind of, you know, gave him, I guess, front runner going into training camp for that role. But I'm curious how you think about this, because I'm looking at that role and, you know, this is a group that, that only played 45% in 11 personnel last year. So that was like the fourth lowest in the NFL using three receiver sets. And Alec Ingold's big part of that was two back sets uh, in the running game. But I, I look at this group and I, I'm looking at, you know, Robbie Chosen is way different than Cedric Wilson, is way different than uh, Braxton Berrios, is way different than Eric Ezukama and River Craycraft. They're all unique in their skills and what they offer. So I, I kind of look at it like, is this a, a group that we shouldn't think about as who is three, four, five, six, and so on? Is it more of a group that we should look at and say they have different matchup pieces and they can attack that defense that week accordingly with these varied skill sets? Yeah, absolutely. I think wide receiver three is going to be more of a construct than an actual position. Uh, it's more of an idea, right? Like who is our, who is the, who's our non Tyreek and Jalen receiver right now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you, if you need, you want short yardage separation, you can go Barrios. You want somebody who can stretch the field. You could throw chosen in there. If you want uh, you know, bigger body, more physical receiver, you could throw Cedric Wilson or Eric Izukama in there. Like there's a lot of, or even you, you don't even have to use a receiver per se, Travis. Like you can throw, you could put uh Saubert out wide. You could put Higgins or Terrence Connor out wide. You can put Devon A chain out wide. You know, there, I, like I said, I think it's going to be, it's more of a construct than an actual, than an actual position. But it, it like, I like what you said. It's a versatile wide receiver room. These guys all offer something different. And, uh, you know, yeah, there's not really there's not really any redundancies on this team. And uh, it, it's they've been exciting. They've been exciting to watch. I can't wait until we can see, you know, full good on good. And obviously, Jalen Ramsey rehabbing that shoulder injury wasn't playing in, in team drills. So, again, with no Tyreek and no Jalen Ramsey, you got to kind of take these the these team 11 on 11, seven on sevens with a grain of salt. But man, once training camp starts, that is going to be, I, I'm excited for fans to see it too, yeah. because it's going to be, it's going to be quite an environment there at, at Baptist Health. That's exactly what I was going to get to was how excited these fans have to be to come out and watch a roster that just has matchups on top of matchups on top of matchups. And the one-on-ones are going to be fun. You know, the oohs and ahs that go on during those drills. And then once you get the team drills, obviously, and the joint practices, lots to look forward to. 
before our last break here, we'll, we'll do the offensive line last because it's the biggest group here. And we'll, we'll get to that for the full third segment. But let's talk about tight ends. You mentioned Eric Sabart there a little bit. He's made some plays out here in camp. Uh, we know about Durham Smythe. Let's just go down the list here, actually. Uh, Tyler Croft, Tanner Connor, Durham Smythe, Eric Sabart, Elijah Higgins, Julian Hill. It's it's an interesting group, Marcel, because you don't really have that, like, you know, where's your George Kittle? You, you don't have that, but you have a bunch of guys kind of like that third receiver role where it's like different skill sets, different types of uh, players and stylistic, you know, approaches to the game. I'm curious how you view this tight end group because not the marquee name star power, but a, a group that I think is deeper than it's been in a while. Yeah, there is no, there's no more Mike Kosicki. There's no more, you know, kind of name brand, household name brand recognition uh, on this roster anymore, but they all, they're all so well-rounded. Like, I don't think you can key what they're doing based on who's on the field. Uh, you know, obviously, unless like, you know, if Tanner Connor is active on game day and Tanner Connor's on the field, you can probably guess it's a passing situation because he's not known as a blocker. But the other guys, Tyler Croft, Durham Smythe, Eric Saubert, these are guys who efficiently can do both tasks that a tight end is traditionally asked to accomplish. Uh, obviously, the team is very high on, on Durham Smythe. He essentially was taken over as a starter throughout the middle of last training camp. And it hasn't really relinquished that role. Uh, there is no, like you said, there's no George Kittle, uh, you know, thousand Travis Kelsey, thousand yard receiving tight end on here, but these are guys who can get open in, in a tight space. These are guys who can catch and make plays after the catch. And ultimately with so many other weapons on this roster, I think that's, that's also valuable. You know, you don't need a Travis Kelsey on this thing. You don't need a George Kittle. I'm sure they would love one, they're not going to turn one down, but I think these guys are plenty capable of doing exactly what they're asked to do within this offense. Yeah. A team like Kansas city who, who got Travis Kelsey and then basically said, you know, receiver room will go by committee in that group uh, and build up the offensive line around Patrick Mahomes Two really like really good offenses built in different ways there. It's always been a fascinating comparison to me with the dolphins and chiefs and how those teams are constructed and ultimately productive on that side of the football. Last question here for the tight ends before we take our last break and, and go to the offensive line. Line because just looking at the roster, like you mentioned, like, you know, you mentioned Croft, Smythe, and Sauber are guys that you know can kind of do a little bit of both in terms of what tight ends are asked to do. But then that group beyond them, like, it's, they're young, they're they're not proven yet, but they they certainly have upside for that kind of F position, the move tight end piece. Like, Tanner Connor has a lot of athletic ability. Elijah Higgins, I loved his college tape. And then Julian Hill's a guy that has gotten some pop as well and caught a few balls here and there. I'm just curious how you view that tight end group beyond those guys up top and how those developmental guys can kind of come along and carve out a role for themselves come training camp. I'm a big Tanner Connor advocate. I'm a big Tanner Connor advocate. I was really excited to see what he was able to do last training camp. I think after the catch, he might be the best tight end that the Dolphins have right now. Uh, we actually got to talk to him, I uh, believe it was two days ago, and it was so introspective about how – much of a of a struggle it was for him to learn the position on the fly last year. Because, I mean, tight end is already the hardest transition to make from college to the NFL. And when you are learning tight end and then learning tight end at an NFL level, I, I think that it's you're expected to, to kind of come along, come along slowly. And he admitted that. He said he felt like he was over his head at times last season. But this year, he feels like it's less think and more react. He even mentioned that uh, you know, his, his coaches joke with him and tell him like, hey, man, you're not the last guy off the ball anymore like you were <laughs> last year. He said last year he's like looking at everybody else, like seeing, OK, what's the defense doing? OK, now I can do this. Now it's it's just it's instinct. And so I, I, I like that. 
uh hill is a very is a very big person (laughs) as well (laughs) like it's 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 very funny seeing the juxtaposition between the two hills on the team one hill is a lot is a lot bigger hill than the other but uh i i think that size uh that size and the way that he he can move uh is going to benefit him throughout his career wherever it takes him whether he stays here makes a 53 whether he goes elsewhere I, I I can't say I want to see him with pads on first, but uh, you, you, you can't deny the physicality there. And I, I like Higgins too. I think that he and I don't want to say he and Connor are are redundant. I think they have a little different games. I think Higgins is a little more of an over the top uh, pass catcher than Dan Connor is, but I think it's exciting to have. I think that they're kind of like throwing uh, they're 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 throwing a couple darts at the wall yeah. right here, saying, "Hey, are are any of these?" you know, slot tight ends, receiving tight end, can they fit? Can they mold into a guy who, you know, is truly dominant in the passing game? So it, it's, it's it's exciting to see, but I think that they do have a, a level of consistency and, and they have a high enough floor with Saubert and, and, and Smythe in no particular order, obviously, because that is not something that I can report. <laughs> exactly. And you got Tyler Croft in there as well and you know, Tyler Croft as well the, the way you talk about that like it just reminds me how difficult training camp is going to be to watch because of all the different pieces we have to look at and kind of decipher I mean you, you kind of have to pick your battles each day because this group like you mentioned you know Connor and Higgins like I, I want to watch both those guys but I've got so much other stuff going on that it's tough to tough to really decipher you know who's who's winning that matchup as it were that competition I should say at this group but no you, you hit that well I thought that was well said let's go ahead and take our last break right here and come back on the other side and talk about the offensive line that's next Marcel Louis Jock from ESPN's my guest your host Travis Wingfield on the drive time podcast brought to you by Auto Nation One more segment to go here in our roster reset series. You heard from Daniel Oyafusi on the defense. You're hearing now from Marcel Louis-Jacques on the offense. We're going to finish it up here with the big uglies, the guys up front. Let's go down this offensive line group. It's a long group. The last one to bring us home here. Connor Williams, Alama Yulave, Robert Jones, Lester Cotton, Dan Feeney, Robert Hunt, Kendall Lamb, Isaiah Wynn, Teron Armstead, Austin Jackson, Liam Eichenberg, James Tunstall, Ryan Hayes, Keon Smith, Jerron Christian, and Cedric Abwehi. So, you know, we didn't get a look at Teron Armstead or Connor Williams out here, which I think can impact, you know, your overall production when you have your top two guys, in my opinion, on a position group that are not out there. So, uh, like you talked about, grain of salt, not to mention, um, you know, no pads makes it difficult to get a real feel for that. But I look at this group, Marcel, and it's, it's three guys that you know about because last year, you know, Pass block efficiency rates from pro football focus had to run Armstead 98.1, which is really crazy for a tackle Rob hunt 98 and then Connor Williams 98.6 really good numbers there from your three guys. And then it's the other two spots that, you know, I think, you, you, you know, Chris Greer mentioned penciling in Liam Eichenberg and, and Austin Jackson out there for the spots, but they've, they've added tons of competition there. I'm curious how you view what the offensive line, or I should say the approach to the offensive line and how they kind of constructed this group this offseason because build around those three guys, you know, support the high draft picks and, and provide competition for them in, in the interim, I, sh- I should say, uh, with the boy he and obviously Isaiah Wynn and some other guys, Dan Feeney. Just kind of your thoughts on how the Dolphins approach the offensive line this offseason. Yeah, it, it's kind of, it mirrors exactly what they've been essentially telling us for the past two offseasons, which is they believe in their young talent. They believe in Austin Jackson. They believe in Liam Eikenberg. We already know, I, I think Williams Armstead and, and and Rob Hunt 
arguably don't need to discuss them strictly because we know what they are. Yeah. We know those are the top three offensive linemen. But they believe in those other guys. They believe that, and this staff believes that they are capable of developing these players into what they were drafted, uh, what they were drafted to be. And that's kind of what we saw. We didn't see big splashy additions. You know, Dan Feeney, I think, it can can push for for a starting job. Uh, Isaiah Wynn can push for a starting job. But ultimately, they just added quality depth because uh, at offensive line, injuries are unfortunately going to happen. They're going, they're going to happen. It is, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but I would be shocked if an NFL team has ever made it week one to week 16 or even week 17 now with the same five offensive line, no injuries, uh, you know, no bang ups, no time missed. So you're going to need quality depth at that position or those positions. That's exactly what we saw them, saw them do. And not just quality depth, but versatile depth. Isaiah Wynn can play two or three positions. Feeney can play two or three positions of way he can play both tackle spots. So it, it's a lot of plugging and playing going along or going on for 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 Chris Greer and uh and this offensive line. Yeah and it's you know it's I think that you can in a lot of ways like you mentioned Tanner Connor coming off the football and and you know how he kind of had to learn to get everything second nature so he can play at that speed. We've heard Coach McDaniel talk about this a few times with how you know, the offensive line kind of has to retrain the way they play the game with, you know, firing off the football and playing more, you know, uh, instinctive rather than reactive to what the defense does. I- I'm curious how you think that might benefit this offense here in the second year, because, you know, all these guys are coming back really almost running it back and continuity, is something on the offensive line they haven't had much of here in Miami. So you think the continuity might kind of play a-, a bigger factor than folks talking about out there? Yeah, like I-, I don't think they got enough of a sample size to make a definitive decision who you know who deserves to be here still who needs to who they need to move on from this that and the third I I think they haven't their top five played because when did Austin get hurt in week one the first half right yeah very quickly so they played a handful of snaps together with their top five on the field so they didn't get a full evaluation of what this top five could be like and because there's no full evaluation it would be hasty to move on from it just because again there's some maybe unrest among Dolphins fans about what this position should be. I think again, like kind of what we saw, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm crossing into, into Daniel's territory here talking about defense, but it's kind of like what we saw uh, with their defensive backfield, right? Like their biggest issue was not talent per se. It was depth. It, it was, they ran out of players eventually. And that's the lesson that Chris Greer learned. That's why you saw Cam Smith go in the second round, kind of same deal here where talent isn't, isn't necessarily the problem as much as depth was and quality depth and versatile depth at that. I think that the biggest thing you can look to is, and I I will say they played as well as you could for a street free agent coming in mid season. But I think the idea here is hopefully if you do get the attrition that, you know, unfortunately, like you mentioned, does happen on the offensive line that you don't have to go into the street free agent pool and you can just pull up, you know, uh, whether it's a Cedric Aboy here, Isaiah Wynn, Kendall, Lam- I, like, there's so many guys on this list that have given you quality backup reps in the past that perhaps you can go in that direction. And, and like you mentioned, it's, 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 I don't know the word for it, but it just, it's, it sucks. I guess that both Liam and Austin, it, you know, in kind of cri- uh, critical years for them, both endured injuries last year. Hopefully they can stay healthy this year and, and show you why they were first and second round draft picks. Cause like you mentioned the talents there, uh, but better depth this year as well. So interesting group. Lots to watch this training camp. You can check out all of Marcel's coverage as well as mine, obviously. Marcel, before you head off to vacation here, man, tell us 
uh, where people can find you, what you're working on, what you've had out there the past couple of weeks. Give us some uh, some Marcel promo here for us. <laughs> uh, ESPN.com, Miami Dolphin team page. You sign up for alerts there. Everything that I write is going to get pushed straight to your phone. If you don't like my Twitter account, which is at Marcel underscore LJ, <laughs> you can get the clear cut, unseasoned meat and potatoes right there. Um, if you want a little bit of seasoning on there, obviously you can follow me on Twitter. I'm going to get back into tweeting. I think I took, I'm taking sort of a Twitter break this off season, man. Like I really, I really tried to detach uh, from, from social media as much as possible. Uh, and I, I feel, I feel a little better, but I need to get back into it because I think people might start forgetting who I am here, but uh, follow me there. I've got a couple features I'm working on during this down period, excited to share them with y'all once they're a little bit more developed, but uh, you know, it, it, they should be coming out, you know, training camp and, and, and August. And then uh, beyond that, man, I'll be out and I'm on the big old show twice a week, Monday and Thursdays, if y'all want to hear that. So uh, that is where you can find Marcel Louis and, and if, if nothing else, give them a follow for the, the back and forth of Buffalo Bills fans who give you crap for leaving Buffalo and coming to South Florida. <laughs> to me, it's an obvious decision. Uh, South Florida is paradise. People, uh, they, they pay to come vacation where we live. But go check it out because Marcel gets some pretty good clapbacks in there as well. So, Marcel, appreciate your time today, my friend, and, and have a good summer break, man. Yes, sir. You too. And away he goes. Great stuff there. I think we got a, a lot learned there about this Dolphins 90-man roster. Getting you ready for training camp, which is just a few weeks away, guys. It's going to be here before you know it. But until then, we're going to try to enjoy our summer vacation. Speaking of that, the next, what is it, four or five weeks here, we're going to pre be previewing the Dolphins training camp position by position every single episode, but also in those episodes, a division by division NFL preview. So if uh, you're not interested in the other 31 teams, I can't imagine you're listening to a podcast if you are not, but if you are not, maybe not your go-to episodes. We're going to get you guys some information about every single team in the league, especially the ones the Dolphins will play this season all what is it, 14 opponents, 14, 15, 16, 17, with the divisional opponents twice. So yeah, that to look forward to. And enjoy your summertime off if you guys get it like we do here. Uh, in the meantime, it's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Linkfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and Juice. I believe Chris Chambers is next. You don't want to miss that one. Check out the team YouTube channel for media availabilities, Dolphins Today, Drive Time, and Fish Tank content. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next week, fins up, Caroline and Cameron, Daddy. Coming home.